You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, amen. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 33. And we'll begin in verse 12 this morning as we wrap up our series, our journey through the book of Exodus that we began really back in May. And throughout this series, we've seen the grace and power of God to redeem and enslave people for himself. We've seen God's unrelenting love to, to rescue a broken down sinful people. We've seen God's mighty hand and outstretched arm overcome things in the lives of the Israelites that seemed insurmountable. And we've seen God show his people what it means to follow him. And, and you know what else we've seen throughout the book of Exodus? We've seen God's people fail. We've seen God's people lack faith. And we've seen God's people get filled with doubts, filled with fears. And we've seen God's people struggle with idolatry. We've seen ourselves throughout the book of Exodus, haven't we? Our fears, our doubts, our struggles. And now the nation of Israel, right after worshiping the golden calf, here they are. The calf's destroyed. Here they stand with God, remembering what God has done for them. And now they're going to head towards the promised land. And part of us should be wondering at this stage of the book, how in the world are they going to make it? I mean, they're only a few moments away from leaving Egypt. Now they're going to go all the way to the promised land. How are you going to make it through this life to the new heavens and the new earth with your doubts, with your fears, with your insecurities, with your too much self-confidence? For the Israelites and for us, there's only one way forward. And it's with God and knowing God. So look at your Bibles in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. And here is where we will read together. So if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And so they just were worshiping the golden calf. It's destroyed now. And the Lord told Moses, you guys go to the promised land without me. I'll stay back. And this is what Moses and the Lord talk about. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, look, You've told me, lead this people up. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and I have also found favor, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I indeed have found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider that this nation is your people. And he, the Lord, replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name Yahweh, I am the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Then the Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. And the Lord said, chapter 34, to Moses, cut two, tone, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, the Ten Commandments, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be prepared by morning. Come up on Mount Sinai in the morning. Stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning, taking the two stone tablets in his hand. He climbed Mount Sinai just as Yahweh had commanded him. Then the I Am came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, I Am the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. Let's pray together. Lord, you are compassionate. And some of us today do not believe that. Lord, you are gracious. And some of us today are struggling to believe it. Lord, you are slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and some of us are really taking it for granted. Help us to catch through the crevice of the rock. Help us to see your glory, God. Meet with us today, King Jesus. And it's in your name, a name that has no rival, a name that has no equal. In that name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. So after the golden calf, God tells the people, keep walking. You're going to make it to the promised land. Have a great life. And what does Moses say? No, I don't want that. Moses says, I don't just want the reward and the blessings of God. He doesn't just want the Christmas presents at the end of the day. Did you see what Moses wants? Moses says a couple of things. We're going to see both of them today. Moses is really saying, I need transformation. We need to be different. We need to be renewed. We need to be changed. But notice he wants a very specific kind of reformation and transformation. And it's in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Look at what Moses says. He says, teach me your ways. Beloved, we need God's ways. 
Here's Moses speaking, to, speaking with God like friends talk to one another. And this is how, I mean, I, I have friends that I have taught to cook steaks, how to cook the perfect medium rare filet mignon. If you don't like medium rare, I'll pray for you after the service in the back. We can lay hands on you. And I've had friends teach me how to use a hammer and a screwdriver, those kinds of things. This is what friendship is, teaching one another things. And so here is God and Moses speaking like a friend speaks to a friend, and Moses telling the Lord, will you teach me your ways? God, teach me your ways. Copy this prayer, beloved. When you don't know what to pray, when you don't know how to navigate this next situation in your life that is barreling towards you and that you've been juggling, here is a prayer that Moses has grabbed and that you can now grab since you, by the power of the risen Christ and the Holy Ghost, you have access to that same throne room of the I am where you can say, Yahweh, Father, God, teach me your ways. And this request is always relevant. It is, it is, a, it is an admonition and is an, it's an admission and an adoration of God's lordship over your life. I want your ways to be my ways. I want your way of doing things, God, to be my way of doing things. I want my thoughts. I want my parenting. I want my entertainment choices when I'm alone at night. I want my friendships. I want my spending habits. I want these things to be in tandem. I want your ways to be my ways, God. No discrepancies, no veering, no straying. No, no I'm going to figure this out on my own. I want you and me in sync. And it's really me in sync with you. Now, I'm a, I'm a terrible artist. I, I cannot draw a circle. This is why I'm so grateful for tracing paper as a child. I don't know if you ever did this. You had to draw some picture or you got a coloring book from somebody. Oh, let's draw pictures together. Okay, great. And one of them is like just freehand drawing Jafar and Aladdin, no problem. But the tracing paper, you just lay that on top. You follow the lines, follow the contours. Boom, baby, you got it. Or painting by numbers. What a gift that is. You just blew. Got it, got it, got it. Oh, Picasso, I'm so good. I'm great. should go to art school. You know what discipleship really is? It is learning to paint by numbers. It is learning to trace the lines of God's ways becoming your ways. And our family, we were on holiday last week, and, and my daughter, Ivy, and I, we went to uh, this event on the cruise, a little, you know, little kids' activity, to teach you how to draw Goofy and Stitch. I was horrified going into this thing. I can't draw a circle. And now I'm going to draw Goofy and Stitch. And we did. There was the guy teaching us, do this right here. Make this line right here. Follow this circle. Don't do that. Do this. And if I got a little creative and tried to, oh, I'll just do stitch like this. I didn't make stitch. I made some kind of demon from the underworld. But when you follow the ways of the teacher, they become your ways. Moses is saying, Lord, disciple me. Disciple me, God. If you are going to be faithful and walk forward with Christ till the end, there's one thing you must admit this morning. And I would almost say, put your hand over your heart, raise your hand or whatever, but we're not going to do all that because I know a lot of us are Baptists and that would like, go weird. And a lot of us are public schools, right, left. I don't know which way we'd be going, me included. 
Well, here's what we all must admit this morning. My ways are terrible. I totally want to discourage you this morning and encourage you at the same time that your ideas for your life are not good. They, they, they are not bright. They are not what you need. I know you can go to some churches and you go to some places we will tell you, you're a champion, you're great, you're so good at everything. Just No, no you're terrible. We don't have good ideas. Moses does not have good ideas. This is why he is saying, you teach me. Because you know what Moses' ways are? Killing people when he gets angry. Not delegating things. He's going to do it all on himself. He's going to get angry later on in his life and he's going to smash a rock instead of just listening to the Lord. He realizes, I need God's ways. And you must realize this morning that I have ideas that lead to trouble. I have ways of doing things that lead to pain and regret and hurting others. I need God's ways. And when Moses says this, he's really saying four things. When he says, God, teach me your ways, he's saying, because I don't want my ways like I had in Egypt, like I've done before. I need your ways, God. Secondly, he's saying, God, teach me your ways because I don't want Egypt's ways, their brutality. He knows his past. He knows his training. He knows the way of the world around me. So listen, beloved, you have lessons in your life that you need to unlearn. You saw how your parents treated one another, and now that's how you think you should treat your spouse too. You need to unlearn those things and say, God, teach me your ways. You were treated one way by your father or your mother or your grandmother, and so you thought, okay, that's how I treat my kids, and that's how I treat family. And you need to know, unlearn, God, I want to know your ways. And when Moses says, God, teach me your ways, he's saying, God, I want your ways, and I don't want the ways of other people. He doesn't want just the best ideas of his colleagues. He wants God's ways. So don't settle for what your friends think would be the best way for you. Check God's word. Because people are going to tell you, you don't have to forgive. What does God say? What's the Jesus way? People will tell you, you should get back to him. You should get vengeance. People will tell you, everyone does it. Who cares? What's God's way? Beloved, God is willing and able to teach you his ways. It's all here. No secrets. It's all here revealed for you, all given to you in the wisdom literature, in the Gospels, in Paul's writings, in the life of the risen Christ himself, all available to you. Jesus lived all of God's ways for you so that now you could live them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that Moses reveals to us when he says, God, teach me your ways, and this is the big one, I think. He's saying, God, teach me your ways because I don't want to assume I know your ways. This is one of the greatest dangers in the Bible Belt, in any kind of Christianized area, especially if you grew up in a Christian, Christian background. We can assume we know God's ways. We assume we know what the Bible says. And you hear this all the time in churches. Well, the Bible says, and then people say something that's not in the Bible. But they heard it in a church. They heard it from Grandpappy. They heard it from Meemaw. They heard it from whoever. We have misunderstood God. We have assumed God's ways. We've misquoted God. I hear people say things like, you know, you got to forgive yourself first. No, you don't. There is even no possible way of forgiving yourself. What we need to do is die to self. Find ourselves crucified with Christ and raised to new life. We need God to forgive us first. 
Oh, God only helps those who help themselves. No. God only helps those who are broken down on the side of the road with cinder blocks, dead in their sins, waving the white flag, who cannot do anything for themselves but say, God, help me. And God says, yes. Or the most common one I hear all the time, you know, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Not true. Hear me. God will frequently give and allow more than you can handle. That's why we need him. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Bible. That's why we need one another. If God never gave us more than we can handle, then we don't need God. The Apostle Paul realizes this in 2 Corinthians and he asks, God, take this away from me. Take this thorn in my flesh away. And Jesus responds, no. The Bible doesn't say Jesus goes, oh, you're right. I'm not supposed to give you more than you can handle. My bad. No, Jesus responds, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in this weakness. God gives and allows more than we can handle. And we respond and say, God, teach me your ways. You teach me. I need you. I mean, Moses is looking out on the horizon of his life, leading the stiff-necked Israelites, leading this rebellious people. He's in the wake of a smashed up golden calf. And he looks forward and says, God, I need you. How are you going to go forward with what is next in your life? With your struggles at work that cause you to have sleepless nights, your anxiety in the office. Is binging Netflix going to fix it? Your tensions at home. Is isolating yourself from your spouse and your family, isolating yourself in a hobby, is that the way that you'll endure for the rest of your life? And beloved, Moses offers us a prayer that when that next chemo bag is put up and when that job offer does not arrive in your inbox, he offers you a prayer that can shake you out of a daze and connect you with divine power from on high. God, teach me your ways. And there's a realization that we must remember here, and it's in verse 15. God says, I'll teach you. But now in verse 15, look what Moses says. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. Moses is saying, God, if you aren't going to go with us to the promised land, what's the point? We should stay right here. I, I love this from Moses. He is basically saying, I know you promised us that would be our blessing, but that's not the blessing. You are the blessing, God. I don't, Moses is saying, I don't want a future without you at the center, Lord. I, without God in charge, without God's presence felt among us. And friends, this is the exact opposite of many evangelism strategies today. We tell people, you can ask for forgiveness and you can go to heaven. Heaven is presented as the woe factor, as the promised land, as that's yours. What is, what is the woe factor for Moses? What is the goal for Moses? God. Wherever God is, that's where I want to be. What's the woe factor for Paul? Where Christ is. To live is Christ. To die is gain. 
to be with Christ. Don't tell people about a Christianity in your office or, or in your family and your kids that Christ is some kind of side dish or just some kind of usher taking you into the real blessing. No, Christ is the dish. Christ is the meal, his body and his blood. What Moses is showing us here is that he doesn't want to go about his life without God in the midst. That's a good word for our church, for every church. See, Moses could have made the journey. He could have set up the tabernacle. He could have walked and he could have taught the Ten Commandments and taught them the law, but he wanted God's presence. And beloved, we can set up every week, we can tear down, we can have Bible studies throughout the week, we can sing songs, we can listen to sermons, we can read Christian books and go on and on and on. But do you want God's presence? Do you you want God's presence palpably felt among us and enjoyed? Let's seek him. Because I don't want to play church. I have zero interest in just doing church, setting up, coming to church, doing this and thing. I want to meet with God and us gather with him and his presence be felt among us and him be enjoyed and adored and exalted. Where our prayers are real and not just hollow and empty and we're just going through the motions. We can do that and have no power among us. We need God in our midst. Seek him. Ask for him to visit us and be felt among us. But outside of our gathering, what about your Monday through Saturday? I think a lot of times we can, are you running on autopilot? You just kind of go about your life. And then Sunday, time for church. Is your life on autopilot? I'm sure there's, there's Christian music playing in the background. But are you depending on Christ, looking to Christ every day, depending on him? Beloved, autopilot Christianity is just atheism with a Jesus fish slapped on the back. We need real, vibrant dependence on Christ for everything. Do you remember the WWJD bracelets? The What Would Jesus Do became a, a fad in the mid, late 90s. And I remember, you know, because I'm a dumb kid, and making fun of them. It's easier to make fun of something so you can distance yourself from it. That way you're not convicted and challenged by it. That's a strategy of mine. It might be one of yours. WWJD. That's exactly what Moses is asking. Teach me your ways. God, what would you do in this scenario? What would you have me do in this scenario? And we can also ask WWJE, what will Jesus empower? Because we know what Jesus will do, but that is meant to translate into, this is what Jesus will do in my life. This is how Jesus will empower me to respond to the situation at work. This is how Jesus will empower me to love my enemy, to love my neighbor, to love my rebellious child, and to love my spouse, and to serve and to sacrifice. This is exactly what crucified disciples raised with Christ begin to ask. What would Jesus have me do? Because he is my Lord, not Egypt. He is my Lord, not Rome. He is my Lord, not America. He is my Lord, not me. How do I live in Christ now? By knowing his ways. And by realizing not only do we need his ways, 
but we need power. We need a vision. We need something bigger than all the humdrum of this life. We need his glory. So look what Moses does. God agrees, I'll teach you my ways. But look at verse 18, chapter 33. It's an incredible ask from Moses. Then Moses said, please, please let me see your glory. Another prayer for you to copy. Let me see your glory, God. It's an awesome prayer. Let me see your glory. But another part of me hears this from Moses, and I just kind of think, Moses, have you not been paying attention for 33 chapters now? What have you seen, brother? He saw the burning bush. He saw the plagues. He saw the literal exodus through the Red Sea. He saw Egypt get turned upside down. He saw water fly out from a rock. He saw bread fall from the sky. You've seen some stuff, man. But Moses wants to see more. Because God's glory doesn't get boring. God doesn't get boring when you truly know God. Natalie, my wife and I, we were just marveling that our kids can watch the same episode of Mickey Mouse Roadster Racers over and over and over. They can watch Santa Paws 2 over and over and over and laugh the same parts and love it like they've seen it for the first time. But here we are, we open up to Romans 8 and we go, oh, I've read Romans 8 already. Oh, Easter, oh, I, I know the story of the cross and the resurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want... I want to learn some obscure thing from uh, Isaiah. Oh, I know about Paul and I know about Philippians. Yeah, 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 I want to know this. But I want something new. No, no, no. Listen, God, God's glory doesn't get boring. What Moses is asking here, I want to see your glory. Moses is, is kind of saying, I want to go deeper into Narnia. In Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis, a part of the Chronicles of Narnia series, Lucy, one of the youngest child, she sees Aslan again, the, the Jesus figure, if you will, of the books, and she, she hasn't seen him in years. And she sees him and says to him, Aslan, you've gotten bigger. He's lion; He hasn't grown anymore. But he says to her, no, I haven't. You've grown, Lucy. And when you grow, I seem bigger to you. When you grow, I seem bigger. That's Christian growth. The more you grow, the bigger and more awe-inducing and more majestic Christ becomes to you. The more you want to lean in and enjoy the glory of God. Not, oh, I've seen that before. The more you want to be satisfied with the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus grows larger in your mind and in your heart. And his mercy and his love and his tenderness and his compassion and his death and resurrection, they, you notice them quicker. You notice it before, but now you notice it faster and you, you go to him faster and you, you enjoy him deeper. And that's what Moses is asking for. I want to see your glory. And God grants Moses' request. But it comes differently than Moses asked, which is usually how all of our prayers get answered. We ask for something, God says, sure, but it's going to happen this way. Sure, Moses, you can see my glory, but I'm going to have to put you in this rock and hide you in it. No, but I want to see it. You, you, you can't see it full on. Oh, you'll get vaporized. It's my translation, roughly. You, you can't see my, you no know, human can see my glory and live. So God says, I'm going to do it, but look, look at verse 19. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. 
I will proclaim the name the Lord. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, the I am, I will proclaim it before you. Which should make you pause. Moses says, I want to see your glory. God says, sure, I'm going to tell you my name. Moses already learned that. He learned that back at the beginning of Exodus, at the burning bush, when he says, who are you? When I tell the Israelites that you've sent me, what is your name? And he says, I am. So now Moses asks 30 chapters later, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'll tell you my name. Moses already knows it. And that's the kicker. Moses is going to learn it at new levels. Moses is going to learn what he doesn't know because you and I, we don't know what we don't know. And God is going to show and reveal to us, here's something you didn't understand before about me. Here's something you're learning that you didn't know about me before as you go through this experience. I'm gonna show you my name, Yahweh again. So Moses is put in the rock and look at verse five of chapter 34. This is a sacred moment unfolding before us. 34, five, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name. So Moses wants glory. God says, I'm gonna preach you a sermon and proclaim my name to you. And the Lord passed in front of him. If you remember, he says, I'm going to put my hand over your face, cover you, and then you'll see my back. And while all this is happening, God is preaching, God is proclaiming, and he gives him an exegesis and an exposition of four letters, Y-H-W-H in Hebrew, and what it means. Verse 6, the Lord, Yahweh, I am, is what? The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Do you remember what Moses asked for? Teach me your ways. God's doing that here too. These are my ways. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Maintaining. The wheels don't fall off of God's love. He maintains it to a thousand generations, on, on, and on, and on. Forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. God's also not a pushover. He will bring father's iniquity to account on the children and grandchildren, third and fourth generation. The things do not escape God's sight. But beloved, what we're seeing here is an unbelievable moment of God explaining himself. This is not a theologian's explanation. This is not A.W. Pink and the Attributes of God's explanation. This is not A.W. Tozier giving you an explanation. This is not John Piper giving it. This is not Jeff Metters giving an explanation. This is God himself saying, this is who I am. And in the Bible Belt and in your heart and in mine, this is the description of God we need in our minds. Because we all have wrong thoughts about God that we've just assumed. Because we had a father growing up that treated us a certain way. And we think this must be how God is like. And God says, no, I'm not like that. We had authority figures in our life and things happened to us that we just assumed this must be what God is like. And God says, no, no, no. When the question is brought up in your mind and even with your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, what is God like? Who is God like? What, what? Put yourself in the rock with Moses and hear it. The Lord is compassionate. 
gracious, slow to anger. A lot of people think God is a hothead. He said, no, I'm slow to anger. Abounding in faithful love. This is the kind of God that makes weary, brokenhearted sinners realize all hope is not lost. There is hope for my ruined life. There is a way back from my horrible decisions. Because God is gracious. He won't leave you abandoned in the cold of this universe. He invites us in. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's willing to forgive, verse 7. So when you hear a coworker describing, or even around the Christmas season, around Advent, describing what they think God is like, you can step in and say, let me tell you what God says God is like. Cue up this scene. He is compassionate to people like us. He is gracious to people who, can, who just cannot seem to get their life figured out. He doesn't have anger management issues. He's rich and abounding in love, like the oceans abound in waves, just over and over. And there is no bottom to God's love. And he's willing to forgive sinners. This is God. And why I think this, this little passage here is so important. It is one of the most repeated descriptions of God in the Bible. This is found throughout the Psalms. This is what carried Moses through. This is what carried David through. As he's in the caves and people are seeking his life to kill him, Mo David writes throughout the Psalms, the Lord is gracious, the Lord is compassionate, the Lord is abounding in faithful love. Then again, Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then later in the Psalms, as they're seeking his life and he's on near death, the Lord is gracious. You know why you need this? Because you need these truths about God in your life. That when that next chemo bag is put up on the stand, you can remember the Lord is gracious, compassionate, abounding in faithful love. When that job interview you thought went so well and the offer never arrives, and now your credit card debt is looming in your face. You can remember God is gracious, compassionate. When you got to have that hard conversation with your teenager that you're dreading, God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Listen, you, you need this because that is how you will get through till the end. And quoting this verse, just saying the Lord is compassionate and gracious, it's not going to make, it's, it doesn't work in the way that we want it to work. Right? We can just say it, you know, kind of wiggle our nose and the tumor's gone. That's a lot of times how we treat Bible verses. I'm going to repeat it. Oh, the anxiety should lift. It's not how it works. Okay, I'm going to repeat it and then the depression will just leave my body. I'm going to repeat it, and then my white blood cell count will go back to normal. No, that, this is not how we quote Bible verses. We say, as the chemo bag is hanging, as the conversation is about to begin, we remember these truths about God so we can endure with God. So we can get to the end. Moses didn't hear this truth and then was teleported to the promised land. He heard this truth and he endured and then saw it on the horizon, and then was brought home to the Lord.
And the same will happen with us. You hear these truths, you recall them to mind, you put them at work in your heart, and then this is what happens in verse 8. Our heart and mind and body are made right. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped. That's where it's meant to take us. The tumor may or may not leave. But we can worship. And we can kneel low and worship. Now then Moses said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, please go with us. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, we don't deserve you and we're a bunch of knuckleheads. So forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. Worship. You can still walk through your exodus because this is the God who is in your midst. And that's the rest of the book of Exodus. They go forward from this moment. They build a tabernacle. And then as it's all completed, the words at the end of Exodus 40 said, and Moses finished the work put out for him. And then a cloud, the glory of God comes down, rests on the tabernacle and the people know the Lord is in our midst. And then they pick it up. They move to the next place. The cloud comes down. The Lord is in our midst. That's exactly what we remember at Christmas. That the Lord Jesus came in our midst. Not just in a cloud, but he came in skin. He came in blood vessels and nerve endings and heart and lungs. And he tabernacled. He dwelt among us. That's what John 1 teaches us, that the word and the word. That the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, Direct connection to Exodus 34. Show me your glory, Moses says. The Apostle John says, we saw it. We saw it. The one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because God is gracious, abounding in faithful love and truth. And he continues in verse 16, and he says, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. Back to Exodus 34. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Jesus shows you the glory of God. He is the incarnation in 3D animation of Exodus 34, 6. Jesus is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Jesus is all of these things in animation for us. And by his death on the cross and forgiving us of all of our sins, he forgives our iniquity and forgives our sin and rebellion. We see that he is compassionate. He looks out over Jerusalem and sees people like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion on us. He's slow to anger. Peter shows Jesus is slow to anger. You and I show that he is abounding in faithful love, that Jesus has never quit on you, and he will never quit on you. He rose again from the dead and invites weary sinners to his glory. On on Mount Sinai, Moses heard the glory of God, and on the Mount of Transfiguration, another mountain, Moses saw Jesus' glory. 
In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to this hill with him. And while he's there, Jesus is transformed. Clothes are made bright white, face shining, brilliant white, like the sun. And Moses and Elijah appear, a summary of the entire Old Testament. And a crazy conversation unfolds in Luke 9. Look what the Bible says, that suddenly two men were talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Do you see what the three are talking about? His departure. What does that have to do with Exodus? What does that have to do with Christmas or anything? Here, that word departure, literally in Greek, Exodus. Moses and Elijah and Jesus gathered, talking about the Exodus Jesus was about to accomplish, to finish in Jerusalem. And that Exodus was your Exodus. Your deliverance from the evil powers of this age. Your deliverance from sin, Satan, and death. Jesus going through that Calvary path, bearing your sins on the cross. And rising again from the dead, splitting the Red Sea of death so that you and I could raise to newness of life with him. Bringing all of God's people from every tribe, language, skin color, and nation into the promised land with himself. And it's yours if you simply believe. See, that's the message of the whole book of Exodus. From one Exodus to another. It's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Christmas. One Exodus leading to another. The cross and the empty tomb leading to your Exodus till you reach the promised land. Beloved, keep going forward with God. Ask him to teach you your ways and ask him, Let me see your glory again because that's how I'll make it through the end because you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love for a sinner like me. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.